Hey guys, remember a couple weeks ago when I took you through a BS story that the CBC and really the rest of the mainstream media ran about 11,000 scientists claiming we're all going to die? I really enjoyed that one and I have a sort of a sequel to that today. I go through the UN's latest panic report, which was dumb to begin with, but then the CBC managed to make it even dumber. And by dumb, I mean misleading. So I'll take you through that. And uh, I am pretty, pretty sure you will find this dissection of the facts nowhere else in the media. Um, hey, can I invite you to become a Rebel Premium subscriber? Just go to premium.rebelnews.com. Premium.rebelnews.com. Eight bucks a month. You get the video version of these podcasts. You get access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show, David Menzies' show, and it helps uh, float the boat here. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, who is the bigger liar, the CBC or the United Nations? It's November 26th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Hey, remember a few weeks ago when I did an expose into the CBC's global warming propaganda? They had claimed, like so many other media did, that 11,000 scientists had signed some big study about global warming and that the end was near. They really emphasized the 11,000 scientists part. Here's the first minute or so of the show we dissected. In recent months, climate emergencies have been declared by Canada and a number of other countries. I'm sure you've heard them. Cities have also sounded the alarm. Well, this morning, in a brand new declaration, 11,000 scientists from 153 countries are bolstering that claim. Here are some of what's in that declaration published in the journal Bioscience. The Alliance of World Scientists says it has a moral obligation to warn humanity. It says greenhouse gas emissions are still rising and that recent efforts to reduce them are not enough. The declaration also says the climate crisis is accelerating faster than many scientists predicted, that it's caused even more damage than many had feared. The alliance says it had to speak out. Why? Because climate change is threatening ecosystems and, get this, the fate of humanity. Scary words there. The fate of humanity. CBC senior science reporter Nicole Martellaro is going through this report. And Nicole, I know it's a big one, lots of dense information, but 11,000 scientists signed on. That's got to mean something. Did you hear? She said, I know it's a big one, lots of dense information. It wasn't a big one. It, it was just a few pages long. That whole thing turned out to be a, a fake. It was a hoax. It was disinformation, fake news. I don't know if you remember the video, did. Unlike the CBC, I actually Googled the report and read it. It, it wasn't a study, it was an opinion column, and it was just a few pages long, and there weren't a thousand scientists who signed it. You see this? You could just click here, and you just click the button, like, like on Facebook. That's it, anyone, literally anyone could sign it. I went through all the Canadian names, and I showed that it was lawyers, and dentists, and 
even scammers and schemers, authors, and my favorite guy was a wise-cracking taxi driver from Hamilton, who I think is a rebel viewer, because he had one of our hats, who called himself a BS detector and analyst. This guy. And then I came across this lad, Hans Weinhold, from Mohawk College. And his expertise, as you can see, is listed as BS detection and analysis. Now, I've gone through a few hundred of these now. So I'm thinking BS, that could mean Bachelor of Science. And detection and analysis sounds like something you might say if you're a global warming scientist. But maybe it's just what it looks like. BS is in bullshit. I was already all the way down to the W's now, so I was tired, but I, I Googled the guy. And, and I found his Facebook page. That's him in the mask there, I think. Is that him there? This is from his Facebook page. Is that him catching a fish? That's very environmental. But look at that hat. Is that, is that a Trump hat? Does that make America great again? And, and what's this? Look at this picture. Is that an InfoWars shirt? And here he is in a yellow vest, and he's wearing a Make Canada Great Again hat. I think that's one of ours here from The Rebel. And look at this from his Facebook page. I won't even read it. I'll just let you enjoy it. Yeah, so he was one of the 11,000 climate scientists who signed the paper. Boy, a lot of people watched that video debunking the fake news. But look, even though well over 100,000 people saw that, it was just a tiny fraction compared to how widely the original fake news was shared. That CBC host there was uh, called Suhana Maharshan, typical liberal know-nothing. But the woman she was about to interview there calls herself CBC's science expert. Her name is Nicole Mortolero. Well, she's the science expert. You'd think that she might have done her due diligence, but that wouldn't have fit with the official CBC narrative. So she was a propagandist too. In fact, according to uh, her resume posted on LinkedIn, Mortolero isn't a scientist at all, at least no more than any of the 11,000 people who signed that letter or me. She has, according to her uh, resume, a BAA degree in journalism from Ryerson. That means a Bachelor of Applied Arts. It's a vocational degree. I've got nothing against vocational schools. I think they're actually more useful than a degree at many universities in like vegetarian studies or something because it's more practical to go to a vocational school. I'm just saying Mortolero is not a scientist. But she plays one on TV. I'm surprised she doesn't wear a fake white lab coat like Bill Nye the science guy. You know, he's sciency because he says so in a nickname. Here's Bill Nye, the science guy, singing a sciency song on his science show. Viewer discretion is advised here. So, you guys, seriously, this next thing I feel is very special. This is a cool little segment. Uh, you know this woman from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Please give it up for Rachel Bloom. <laughs> of ours is full of choice but must i choose between only john or joyce all my options only hard or moist my vagina has its own voice 
not vocal cord, a metaphorical voice. Sometimes I do a voice for my vagina. Please don't tell me I'm the only one who does that. Cause my sex junk is so oh, 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 much more than either. Oh, oh, oh. Power bottom or a top off. Versatile love may have some butt stuff. Yeah, science. That's science, kids. Watch Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, my God. Anyways, so the CBC's non-scientist science reporter has more news for you today. Oh, I can hardly wait. She was part of the propaganda the other day about those fake 11,000 signatures, and she couldn't detect that they were fake. So here, is she, here she is today with an equally insane political rant called Earth set to warm 3.2 degrees Celsius by 2100 unless efforts to cut emissions are tripled, new UN report finds. And then you see the subheadline there, one expert calls findings of 3.2 degrees Celsius warming terrifying. Terrifying, that's one scientist says. Only later in the article do you find out that that expert was actually just a senior appointee in the Obama administration. But still, why not call him an expert so you can claim it's sciency to be terrified? I mean, if, if we're not careful and, and don't get terrified to pay more carbon taxes, you know, snowing, snow, winter, that could just be a thing of the past. Uh, at least that's what this prediction in the year 2000 by a very woke newspaper called the Independent, you see about uh, two-thirds of the way down there, uh, you can see their headline, Snowfalls are now just a thing of the past. Our kids won't know what snow is. Now, if you click on the original page of The Independent, they've actually deleted it from their website because time has proven it to be so foolish, but not before a zillion people took a screenshot of it, like I showed you there. Oh, and here is the same prediction again, though, made in the year 2016. Will snow become a thing in the past? Yeah, I'm sure this will be deleted in a few years, too, and then someone else will repeat the doomsday scenario. But, look, that's not really nuts compared to the latest fad. We have only 12 years left to live. Or is it 10 years left to live? Or is it 9 years left to live? I don't know. And I think that the part of it that is generational is that Millennials and people and you know Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change and your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it <laughs> that that precision 12 years not not 11 not 13 that's just gorgeous. That's just good. The thing about a good apocalyptic doomsday cult is that the moment of truth is close enough that you can scare people into giving you money or whatever, which she was after there. But it's far enough into the future that the cult leader or whoever is saying the sky's going to fall can fleece everybody before that moment of truth arrives. And when it does arrive, just delete the website where you made the prediction. Now look at that terrifying picture on the CBC's website. Wow, that's very global warming-ish, isn't it? Um, but those are actually Australian wildfires, uh, which apparently, uh, by implication here, only started happening in recent years since Trump became 
president or something. They've never happened before. <laughs> now, it's true there have been some bad Australian brush fires. So what, what caused them was the global warming. Well, according to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, that's Australia's CBC, uh, they've actually all been caused by humans or in some cases, lightning. Here's a story from the ABC. Last week, we learned that the Binnaburra Fire, which destroyed the historic Binnaburra Lodge in southeast Queensland, was started by a carelessly discarded cigarette. And the Gold Coast Hinterland Bush Fires the week before may have been started by Army live-firing exercises at the Kokoda Barracks, a spokesman for the Australian Defence Force has conceded. We know that hot, dry, and windy weather increases the risk of fire starting, but here's what we know about what actually provides the spark, the nine categories of bushfire ignition. You can see them smoking, arson, sparks from railroads, campfires, lightning. None of the nine are global warming. Sorry, the CBC's lying to you again. But let's get to the heart of the story today on the CBC, that one insane statistic that they're terrified about. They love those insane statistics. It, it, it makes it science-y when you could add a number. That Bill Nye gender dance was weird and gross, but I don't think it really worked because it wasn't convincing because it was just really bad singing and really bad dancing and just sort of gross. But there was no pretend science there, no number, no 10 years till we're dead, no... 11,000 scientists say. So it wasn't science-y. So here's what today's CBC story by the CBC's non-scientist science reporter said. Without drastic action, our planet is headed towards warming of 3.2 degrees Celsius in less than 100 years, according to a new report. Jennifer Francis, a senior scientist at Woods Hole Research Center in Falmouth, Massachusetts, an independent research organization that studies climate change said that a 3.2 degrees Celsius warming world would cause untold suffering, because that's science language too. So who is this Woods Hole Research Center that is so independent that the CBC felt obliged to call them independent? Well, I googled it. And I know you're not supposed to do things like ask questions as a reporter. You're not supposed to think for yourself. But shocker, do you, do, you see, do you see the names there, the board, the leadership of the Woods Hole Research Center? It's Obama's former global warming advisors. There's Philip Duffy there. I don't know if you can see his name. And uh, senior, former senior advisor to Barack Obama. And there's James Holdren, Obama's top science staffer for eight years. So, yeah, why, why is the CBC lying to you again? Why are they saying they're independent researchers? They're, they're Obama's staff. So back to this 3.2 degrees Celsius nightmare, terrifying thing. I don't believe it, just like I didn't believe it in the year 2000 when some kook looking for a grant or a subsidy said all the snow would be gone by now. Or, or back to the fake scientist CBC reporter for a second here. Um, she says... The good news. As is typical with any UN climate change report, there's a positive take. Hey guys, I'm a science reporter and I can tell you that. Countries committed to the Paris Agreement and NDCs, I'll explain that in a minute, are set to meet in Madrid on December 2nd for the United Nations Climate Change Conference and to meet in Glasgow in November 2020 
to examine NDC efforts. But the new report says countries can't wait that long. Action needs to be taken immediately so you don't have 12 years, people. Well, scientists said there's good news. The United Nations is here to save us. That's the good news, people, according to the scientists. Action needs to be taken immediately. It's all agreed. The CBC, the UN, Obama's people, we all agree. Let me read a little bit more from the CBC science reporter, who's not a scientist. Renewables and energy efficiency is one of the key measures to effectively reduce emissions. And the electrification of heat and energy and even transportation could make major headway. With that, however, comes a hefty price tag, roughly $1.6 to $3.8 trillion annually over the next decade. Why don't you just say gazillion, guys? Why don't you just say gazillion? But it will be worth the cost, Olhoff says. That's some UN bureaucrat. This is definitely not a world we want to pass on to our children and grandchildren, she said. Speak for yourself. It's not a world we want. Um, hey, speak for yourself. Hey, all you need, guys, is two, three, four trillion per year spent on us, and we'll save you from this terrifying boogeyman. No big deal. Hey, by the way, you could get every single person in the world, everyone in the world, including Grassy Narrows, uh, Canada, clean water for that. Everyone. You could end hunger for the entire world for that. You could build housing for, what, 100 million people a year? Easily. But no, no, no. Spend it on green schemes and wind turbines, guys. That's what Olhoff says. That's Ann Olhoff of the United Nations. So I guess it's settled, right? I mean, who are you to go up against the 11,000 scientists or the Woods Hole independent researchers? Scientists. 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 Yeah, they're not really scientists. They're lobbyists and politicians. And in the case of this CBC reporter, someone with a bachelor's um, vocational degree in storytelling, and she's doing a great job. But let's look at the UN report itself. Because I no longer trust a word I hear from the CBC about it. I don't trust the report. It's from the liars of the United Nations who want all your money. But let's see what the scientists at the CBC twisted. So here it is. Here's the UN report itself. Now let me tell you about one piece of jargon first, NDC. You saw that in the CBC story. Here's their official definition. Nationally determined contribution. Submissions by countries that have ratified the Paris Agreement, which presents their national efforts to reach the Paris Agreement's long-term temperature goal of limiting warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius. So it's all the promises that politicians make of the UN. That's an NDC. It's a promise. And by the way, no country, especially not Canada, has kept their promise. The point is to make the promise, get a lot of PR, get the CBC to say how good you are. It's not to actually destroy your economy. No one's keeping these promises, these NDCs. And there's just one more piece of jargon, conditional NDCs. What a bunch of baloney, eh? But here's how they define that. Conditional NDC. NDC proposed by some countries that are contingent on a range of possible conditions, such as the ability of national legislatures to enact the necessary laws, ambitious action from other countries, realization of finance and technical support, or other factors. So a conditional NDC is another way of saying a daydream, a stretch goal, something that will never happen given that the regular promises aren't happening. This is just fantasy land now. 
the UN's good at that. So here's the part in the report about the 3.2 degrees. You remember that was sort of the terrifying part in the CBC story? Here's the report. If current unconditional NDCs are fully implemented, there's a 66% chance that warming will be limited to 3.2 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. If conditional dis NDCs, those are the fantasies, are also effectively implemented, warming will likely reduce by about 0.2 degrees Celsius. A, is, is that it? So let me translate. If every country in the world were to do everything they promised to do to fight global warming, the UN says the world is still going to get 3.2 degrees warmer in the year 2100. Now, I don't believe it, of course. They always be wrong. Every single year they're wrong. They're always wrong in the same direction. These are the people who said there would be no snow by now. But let's assume that these liars of the United Nations are actually telling the truth. So they're saying if every single country in the world keeps their global warming promise, the world will still warm by 3.2 degrees by the year 2100. But here's the good news, people. If every country in the world goes even further than their promises and does all their fantasy goals, which will never happen, of course, but even in that daydream scenario, the UN says the globe will still warm. It, it won't make a difference. It won't stop the warming. It will still be 3.0 degrees warmer in the year 2100. So even if we spent the trillions of dollars a year Instead of warming by 3.2 degrees in the year 2100, it'll just warm by 3.0 degrees by the year 2100. N no difference to any impact. It's just the same thing. But we'll have to spend two, three, four trillion dollars a year per year for the next 80 years. Who would be that stupid? Well, <laughs> the CBC. Who would spend trillions of dollars a year on a global warming scheme when even the UN itself says it will not make a difference? The world will still warm by the year 2100. If you spend trillions of dollars per year on their schemes, it will still get warmer. Spend trillions, and by the year 2100, you'll have a 3.0 degree warming, not a 3.2 degree warming. There's no practical difference. Yeah, no, no one's that dumb. That's the comedy here. That's what the CBC left out. Look at this chart in the report. Figure ES2, that's the one on the left there. Do you see that chart on the left? Which, it, it's countries and their amount of the emissions. Most of the lines are sort of flat. But you see that skyrocketing line? That's China. That's China. The line that's flat, it's America, you can see that. Despite a massive increase in their economy in the last 30 years, their emissions are flat. Mainly, fracking is to credit for the decrease in greenhouse gases, they burn natural gas now, not coal so much. Do you see the other line that's growing quickly? It's the fourth line down. That's India. And do you see the Canadian line on there? No, you, you don't. Because Canada is just, what, 1.6% of the world's emissions? We wouldn't even be on that chart. Let me show you just one last chart. Here's the UN's suggestions for how we're going to get there. Here's the big plan. You see that there? 
China. It's their to-do list for China. I'm just going to read three of these. Ban all new coal-fired power plants. Okay, just that. Continue governmental support for renewables, taking into account cost reductions and accelerate development towards a 100% carbon-free electricity system. Support the uptake of electric mobility, aiming for 100% CO2-free new vehicles. Hey guys, just do those things. Just, just ban all new coal-fired power plants. Yeah, I love this story in the, in the New York Times. I show it from time to time. It's just so great. Um, as Beijing joins climate fight, Chinese companies build coal plants. Let me read just one line. It's from the New York Times. These Chinese corporations are planning or building or planning to build more than 700 new coal plants at home and around the world. Yeah, that's not going to stop. They're not going to stop that. They're not going to stop building hundreds of coal-fired power plants. Um, people need power. They need electricity. Most of China's energy is from coal. It will be for decades. You don't build a coal-fired power plant for a few years. You build it for 50, maybe even 100 years. And so every electric vehicle in China, even if they could afford a Tesla, they would be running on coal too, since that's where the electricity comes from to charge them. A Tesla in China burns coal like it does in California. What a joke. This whole thing is a joke. This whole thing is fake. Everything about this is fake. As fake as the 11,000 scientists. The CBC science reporter is not a scientist. She quotes an independent think tank that's actually run by Obama's staff. She claims that a 3.2 degree Celsius increase in the next century is terrifying. But hey guys, good news. The United Nations is meeting. So if we do what they say and spend what they tell us to spend, we can get that down to... 3.0 degrees 80 years from now, which is not going to happen because China isn't as stupid as Trudeau is or the CBC is. Who do you think is the bigger liar here? The UN or the CBC? Stay with us for more. Right now, we're in the middle of the demonstration outside of Pauley University. Pauley University is the campus where 20 students are holed up following eight days of being blockaded inside of the campus. They're running out of food. Some say on Telegram that they've been contemplating suicide. Now, this crowd is gathered here in the aftermath of the election that happened on Sunday, where there's an overwhelming Democratic win. Now, that means that the pro-Beijing loyalist parties lost a ton of seats here in Hong Kong. And in light of that, they've all, all of these Hong Kong students and graduates have come to the periphery of the Pauley University campus and are chanting, five demands, not one less, liberate Hong Kong. And now, if you look up there, we'll just point the camera up there. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see them, but there's police officers pacing along this walkway that goes straight into the campus from over here from the street, uh, from the main market area right next to the campus, into the campus. There, there's police walking along there and what we're seeing is the crowd is heckling them. I've never seen anything like this. Thousands of people shining their phone lights. They're shining their phone lights at them, chanting at the police officers walking along that walkway. This is surreal. 
Well, how exciting is that? Our own Key and Bexty right in the thick of it at uh, the university campus in Hong Kong that has been the focal point of so many of the democracy movement's protests and the police, well, counter-protest isn't the right word, uh, the preliminary steps to what I worried was going to be a Tiananmen Square style massacre. Thank God that didn't happen. In fact, what did happen was a local municipal election throughout Hong Kong, although it didn't deal with grand issues. Uh, it was very much, you know, who picks up the garbage and, and low-level municipal affairs. It was a proxy for the larger fight. There were pro-Beijing parties and pro-Hong Kong parties. And the pro-Hong Kong parties slaughtered the Beijing side, and Kian was there. I shouldn't say the word slaughter when I'm talking about Hong Kong because death is a threat from Beijing for sure. Joining us now to talk about his days in Hong Kong is our friend Kian Bexi. Kian, great work. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been surreal being here on the ground in Hong Kong. It's like nothing I've... I, I, every time I go to a new location for this job with... Uh, Rebel News, I always say it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, but this truly was just a surreal experience being on the ground where there's so many people fighting for their liberty in the true sense of the word. Uh, it's it, It's been great to be here. Well, that's great. Um, and you were r right at the front. I know when you left from Canada, we didn't know how it would be. You took a gas mask and other equipment. Uh, that wasn't necessary this time, was it? Well, it's been nice to have on hand uh, because we just never, like, we never know what's what's going to set these guys off. Uh, for some background, just before we got here, and it's something that I wasn't aware of until just about two days ago, uh, a new police chief was installed just before we got here, uh, after the PolyU debacle. So that new police chief has clearly uh, given the order to the, the beat cops to not engage and not escalate. And we've been seeing that quite clearly, even though they've been given plenty of opportunity to do so, the police have actually been exercising some restraint, which was nice. But uh, it's been nice to have the safety equipment on hand because uh, while I was on the front line there at PolyU, while uh, protesters were pressing up against the, the barricades that were set up, uh, just pushing the limits, because if understandably so, their, their comrades are um, you know, self-harming themselves as they're locked up in PolyU, uh, as they're starving there. It's a sad state of affairs, but as they're pushing up against these barriers, very angry, um, the it, it just takes a few accidents or, or just a little bit of miscommunication about what's going on, someone stepping in the wrong place for the police to feel threatened. And it felt last night uh, like it could have broken out at about half a dozen different times when, uh, when the protesters started storming actually a hotel where a police officer's wedding was happening, to when they pushed those barricades actually at PolyU, to when they started throwing things well, actually, when the cops were throwing things back at protesters and, and vice versa, and when they were flashing lights, there were so many moments where it looked like things were going to go off, and then one police officer sort of restrained the rest of them to make sure nothing actually ended up happening. But we, we, we're keeping the safety equipment closed because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Now, I saw an interesting tweet that you made, and if you've got time, maybe you can do a video on the subject. Um, you and our cameraman are staying at a hotel, 
and you say that uh, three men in suits suddenly came in and said, we're here to clean or so, uh, give us the details. I, I, I hope I'm not misstating things. What happened at the hotel and what happened with the, the cell phone uh, little circuit, the SIM card? Tell us about that and we'll show your tweet at the same time. Yeah, so uh, my cameraman and I got back to our hotel room to edit a video after we had chased. I couldn't believe our luck, actually. We were at a, one of these lunchtime protests, and we were uh, just sort of filming things happening. And as we were there, we chanced upon Regina Ip, who was the former Secretary of Security, basically, here in Hong Kong. That's, that's intelligence basically sort of the head of the FBI and CIA together here in Hong Kong and their, their equivalents. And it seemed like she appeared just to provoke everyone. Uh, it was a weird situation. I would, I would compare it to uh, if Donald Trump lost the federal election in 2020 and then purposefully walked through a crowd of Antifa, that's effectively what happened. Uh, so she was surrounded by a bunch of police officers just antagonizing everyone and we couldn't believe our eyes when we saw it. And we got back to the hotel room to edit this video after we met one of the chief people here in Hong Kong. And as we did, um, we, we were sitting down and, and we had the do not disturb sign on the door. And all of a sudden we heard a quick knock. And before I could get to the door, the door was actually opening. and I. I stand in front of the door as the doors open and I see three men in suits. One appeared to be a hotel staff member and two, uh, it wasn't clear why they were there. Uh, and then I said, well, what are you doing here? And they said, oh, uh, do you need the room clean? Um, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're uh, cleaning crews, sort of mixed Cantonese English. Uh, and then I was like, uh, no, we, we don't need that. The do not disturb signs on the door. What are you doing here? And they said, oh, don't don't worry. In, in Cantonese, I think, said goodbye. And I thought that was really curious. I, I've never seen a situation where uh, three men in suits are coming to clean rooms. Maybe, maybe if they were checking to see if a room needed to be cleaned, but I don't know why they would need three of them. I don't know why they would be in suits and why they wouldn't send a maid there. And I d certainly don't know why they would enter a room while the do not disturb sign was on the door. Uh, we were gone from the hotel most of the day, so maybe they thought we weren't in there and they were coming to check out the room. Um, I mean, we're quite clearly journalists. When we came into the hotel to check in, we had to give them our passports, which I thought was weird on the get-go, but I guess that's standard practice here in Hong Kong. Helps Beijing keep track of political dissidents who are coming into the country. Um, so I thought this was all curious. I closed the door and we went back to editing the video and I was, you know, I was a little bit concerned. And then as I was walking, uh, we sort of looked around the room on a little bit more high alert than what we were before. We thought, well, maybe they were coming to bug the room. Maybe they were coming to pick up a bug that was in the room. We didn't know what was going on. But we looked on the floor and something I noticed was a little chip and it was a SIM card. And I, I, I don't want to say too much about it because I'm sure well, I, I still have the SIM card on me. We're, we're going to be bringing it back to Canada to analyze it, but I have it on good authority that this is something from what looks like a burner phone, or it's, an, it's something that could, um, it could trace a phone if it was in a device. Now, we checked all of our devices. There was nothing strange about the devices that we saw, but what I imagine this was was sort of a phishing attempt. 
this is just a guess. It seems like a phishing attempt where you drop a SIM card uh, hope, and hope that the people who find it will put it in their phone out of curiosity. And when they do that, it could compromise the device. Now, we have no idea. We're going to bring it back to Canada and have our security guys analyze it. Hopefully, they can figure something out, figure out why it was there. But what's curious is that it's not mine. It's not my cameraman's. And it was certainly, most definitely, not on the floor when uh, we took the when when we took custody of the room. We had the room for about three days before we found it. So, uh, and the "Do Not Disturb" sign was on the door the whole time. We didn't want any maids coming in and going through our stuff or anything like that. So, there's no way this could have gotten here. Uh, I we just don't understand why that SIM card would be in our room. It's just such a curious thing. Um, so we're going to look at it and see what we can find from it when we bring it back to Canada. Yeah. Well, of course, China has perfected the surveillance state. Uh, and they've perfected it through technology. It's one of the reasons why here in Canada and the other allies, United States, Australia, New Zealand, UK, are very wary about using Chinese hardware made by Huawei to yeah. create the 5G uh, uh, telecom network because they are really world leaders in spying in some ways. Huawei is even more developed than its Western counterparts. Um, facial recognition, I'm sure they have downloaded everything about you, including any Canadian government records. I'm sure they know all your social media posts. I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll have to talk maybe off camera about if you left any equipment in the hotel when you went out into the streets, because frankly, that equipment might be compromised beyond uh, redemption. Uh, that's what it's like when you're fighting in a, an asymmetrical war like has been going on in Hong Kong. Now, uh, in the background, uh, I saw a familiar face there, a, a cameraman that has uh, worked with uh, our friend Avi before, and I know you've been there with Avi Yamini, a good guy who we sent Tell me a little bit how it's been like working with him. He's fairly well known in Hong Kong because of the trip he made with us and because of the work he's been doing in Australia, pushing back against Beijing, right? Uh, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I'm, I'm actually in the... Uh, it's, a, it's a cultural district here in Hong Kong that we're in. And uh, on the way here from a hotel, it's our last night here, so we came out to celebrate... I'm with Abby right now and that cameraman you mentioned, as well as my cameraman and uh, the local guide who lives here in Hong Kong, who uh, I don't need to talk about uh, her, probably want to keep her a little bit more confidential so China can't figure out who's been helping us here. Um, but we came here as, as we were walking to this district, um, over like it was like three people stopped Abby as a you know famous YouTuber, which I thought was hilarious. It's not like we we're at a protest or anything along those lines. We're just walking through Hong Kong and three people stopped him. And while we were actually at a protest, at uh, one of the lunchtime protests that they have daily here in the Central District, which is the business district here in Hong Kong, um, after that hour-long protest wrapped up, which Abby was recording and filming, there was a lineup of about 30 people waiting to take selfies with him. We recorded the whole thing from start to finish. And it was about 10, 12 minutes of footage of just people lining up to take selfies with Abby. Uh, they're, they're huge fans of his work because of uh, what uh, the confrontations he's had with some mainlanders here. Those videos really went viral, and as well as the um, uh, the China is asshole video. Yeah, that that just that, that just was a video nuts. he did for us here. Just take a quick look at that. It makes me laugh so hard. He asked this Chinese, this Hong Kong protester, 
what his message was for Donald Trump. You take a look at that. And what's your, what's your message to... Do, you, have you seen Donald Trump? Do you think he should step in? Donald Trump, don't trust China. China is asshole. I'm really glad that you and he uh, teamed up on the ground and... Uh, uh, because it looks like the both of you got access to a lot of very interesting things. And, and uh, I look forward to us being able to cover this story in the months ahead. I think it's important. Um, and I look at these protesters, they seem smart, principled, disciplined. They love values that they inherited from the Brits, democracy, rule of law, free speech. Um, I really have a great sympathy for them. And... Um, I don't know, I feel like covering them and telling their story to the world uh, that much of the legacy media, which is pro-Beijing, won't do. I feel that's an important project for us. And I'm glad you were out there. And all our donors who went to HongKongReports.com, thanks for doing that. And if you haven't gone to HongKongReports.com, please do chip in. Because I checked, and as of now, we're not yet recovered our costs for this project. So hopefully we can. Last word to you, Kian. Uh, so the last thing that we did here was we went to a vigil for the uh, the students that are in Follow You. There's still 20 of them that are reportedly, uh, one of them, it sounds unfortunately like he slit his throat. Um, it's just a very sad state of affairs at Follow You. And we were at this vigil where all the protesters were singing um, and they had a moment of silence. It was really a moving tribute to these, these freedom fighters who were locked in Pali U as they're surrounded by riot police. Still, to this moment, they're still in there. They've been in there for about 10 days now. Um, I'm going to be following this as I come back to Canada because it's just such a unique situation where the police officers of the city are surrounding a group of children uh, out of and they're staying in this campus after they leave they'll be imprisoned uh, on, on charges along the lines of rioting and attempted murder uh, following uh, what we saw at Pauli U 10 days ago even if these folks didn't commit anything the Beijing loyal government here in Hong Kong is going to throw the book at these kids it's very sad but this visual that we went to we're preparing a video to release tomorrow morning uh, and I hope that everyone watches it because it really is, it really was a moving uh, thing to be at. Well, listen, congratulations, Kian. You've traveled to interesting places for The Rebel and you've done a great job everywhere you've gone. We look forward to having you back safe and sound in Canada. We'll have to make sure that your hardware is not compromised by Chinese spyware or malware. We might have to, frankly, chuck it all and get new stuff. Um, and uh, we'll keep an eye on the story now that you have contacts and friends in in china in hong kong rather um i'm sure they'll keep you posted with all sorts of tips and news and if we can get the support from our viewers uh, i'm happy to send you back to cover the story agreed i'd love to come back all right <laughs> thanks Kian. Uh, travel safe and we'll see you in canada thanks everyone. all right there you have a key bexley who along with our cameraman has been in hong kong for the last four or five days. Uh, I checked and we haven't yet meet, met the crowdfunding costs. I can assure you Efron and Kian flew economy class and they're staying in very affordable hotels. All the hotels in Hong Kong right now are quite cheap. Uh, tourism, as you can imagine, is depressed. But uh, for whatever reason, we haven't recouped our costs. If you feel like this is important reportage, please go to hongkongreports.com and help us 
chip in to cover those. All right, stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Here's your viewer mail. Question to you, Ezra. You've been broadcasting for seven, eight years now, including your time with Sun News. With the Trudeau government still in power, what are the chances of you still broadcasting seven or eight years in the future? Regards, Peter. That is a very good point. I think if we are to be shut down, it's likely to come stealthily from the government through, to be laundered through, to be contracted out to, Something like YouTube. I mean, if the government were to take a frontal attack on us, we would see it coming. We could fight back, scream like hell, uh, go to court, and it would be messy, and we might even win, like we won when Trudeau tried to ban us from the leaders' debates. But if they were just to make a phone call to Facebook or YouTube or Twitter and say, hey, uh, shut that guy down. And if, that, if they were to obey, as they've obeyed to so many people on the right, how would we even know what happened there? So, yeah, I think there is a significant threat that we will be deplatformed in the next seven or eight years. Uh, it is a significant risk that it will come from Justin Trudeau, but will be masked through some cutout, some middleman like YouTube. Steve writes, isn't this the way of the left to spout off nasty slurs first? Guess it makes them feel good somehow. Later, some will recant what they said, but very few. Well, here's the thing, Steve. I presume you're talking about folks calling Sheila a Nazi. Can I state the, the obvious? No one believes Sheila is a Nazi. Nazis certainly wouldn't believe it. She's a Jew lover who goes to Israel and <laughs> leads, goes to the Holocaust Museum and went to Auschwitz to do a memorial video. I mean, a Nazi wouldn't believe it. Her friends and neighbors and family wouldn't believe it. None of her viewers would believe it. Even leftist critics wouldn't believe it. They would say she's conservative, and they might comment on her personality, which I find very friendly, by the way. But there is no one who would genuinely think she's a Nazi. Even that David Barrett did not actually think she's a Nazi. If you th can you imagine actually, th oh my God, there's a Nazi, there's a Nazi! Like, if we actually thought there was a Nazi, the whole place would be panicking. No one, no one for a second thinks she's a Nazi. It is being used because we know she's not a Nazi. That's why they choose that vicious insult, precisely because they know it's not true. So it will do harm. Yeah, well, he apologized and paid 1200 bucks. Paul writes, what bugs me the most about Seamus O'Regan and his Twitter attacks on Rob Ford. It's my understanding he didn't have a problem of jumping on the bandwagon to attack Rob Ford's personal failings, while at the same time he had a problem with alcohol. A man with no class, he acted more like the town drunk. Oh, I remember that. I mean, look, Seamus O'Regan was in Justin Trudeau's wedding party, and were it not for that, he would have no place in cabinet I could picture him as a local MP because he had some local notoriety in St. John's. He has no place in cabin other than the fact that he was in the wedding party. And as we all know now, he's an alcoholic. He had to take time off his duties to go to rehab. And by the way, I wish him well. I hope he dries out. But imagine the chutzpah of demonizing Rob Ford for his addictions while Seamus O'Regan was a drunk who was hiding that from voters and covering up himself. That, I mean, it's one thing to poke fun at another's addictions. And maybe it's appropriate. 
to have done that to Rob Ford. I'm not quite so sure. But the arrogance, the chutzpah, the hypocrisy of Seamus O'Regan doing that, I think that shows his character, don't you? Well, that's our stories for today. That's our show for tonight. I think I'm going to be covering news in the field tomorrow. Wish me luck out there. Until then, on behalf of all of us here, we'll have a show for tonight, for tomorrow, but I'll be uh, taping it on location. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.